Hey gearheads and welcome to GT Garage Talk, a discussion about all things automotive. I am your host Corey and on this week's episode we've got a good one. I really had to do my best to watch the time on this one because I do think this perhaps is the longest one in the last month because the conversation was just going so well and my guest this week was sharing so many very useful tips for car buying and car research and that is because she absolutely knows what she is doing. My guest this week is Scotty Reese. She runs A Girl's Guide to Cars, among many other ventures that she's got going on. She's involved in the World Car Awards and all of that, but I won't go down her resume. I will let her share everything that she does with you, our listeners. So great to have uh, Scotty Reese with us today from A Girl's Guide to Cars. How are you doing today? I am doing great, Corey. How are you? I am fantastic. I just got done with a four-mile run and a two-mile walk, so I feel energized and ready to go today. Great to sit down and talk to you about your busy schedule and all that you do in the automotive world. Nice to be here. Love talking about cars. Well, to that end, we'll just jump right in. So okay. you, you run, you are the uh, person responsible for A Girl's Guide to Cars, but that is not all that you do. You, you've you got quite an umbrella <laughs> of stuff that you put out. So why don't you let our listeners know just a little bit about you and what you're involved in and with? Well, pretty much anything I can get involved in when it comes to cars, uh, I'd like to be involved in. So uh, I serve as a juror on the World Car Awards. I'm also on the steering committee, which is a rotating job. I'll be on that committee for a few more years and then I'll rotate out. Uh, But I help the uh, World Car Awards to make sure that we're uh, covering that all of our 100 plus jurors who are journalists who serve uh, automotive outlets around the world are driving the right cars and that we're communicating with not only the automotive industry, but also with consumers to um, give really great information. And as a part of that, I also am a co-host of World Car TV, which appears weekly on YouTube. And then I'm also involved with women in automotive. And I feel like uh, and any, any woman who's ever bought a car will tell you it's not easy to buy a car. And any woman who's ever pursued a uh, career in the automotive industry will tell you the same thing. It's not easy. And so uh, Women in Automotive started about seven years ago to connect women who work in automotive to help them to network and build their careers and get to know each other, find mentors and advice and things like that. And so I became involved. And uh, my role is really more with um, helping to build our events. We do a conference every year. We do smaller events at the Chicago Auto Show. We've got one coming up at the Reuters Automotive Summit. And so we, uh, we seek to connect women who work in the automotive industry anywhere we can. And how does that benefit women who are reading A Girl's Guide to Cars, reading car reviews and um, watching our videos on YouTube? Well, if you understand who the people are behind the product that you're buying, you understand the product better and you have a connection to it. I would much rather buy food from a, a local vendor who I know 
how they sourced that food and uh, how it was developed and and how it was farmed. And I have confidence in that. That gives me not only um, a stronger uh, feeling about, you know, feeling good about that product, about that food that I might serve my family, but it also, you know, puts, it gives me uh, trust in that product. And so understanding that we, we really should know more about the people behind the brands that mm-hmm. we spend our time with and our money on. Uh, we have incorporated women who work in the automotive industry into our content from the very earliest days. Uh, we have a section on the site called What Drives Her. Mm-hmm. And so if you want to know about the women who are building, designing, building, and selling cars, uh, you can go to What Drives Her at A Girl's Guide to Cars and, and find uh, stories about some of these amazing women. So that's, I think, I think I covered everything, <laughs> but uh, if there's something that comes up, you know, we're, we are served together uh, on, on the Texas Auto Writers Association. Right. And um, those associations are hugely important to help us get into cars. There's so many cars that are out for sale every year. There's no way you can possibly drive them all, uh, but we try. Yep. And Texas Auto Writers Association is one of the ways that we're able to do that. Yeah, so you bring up women in automotive, and I have had several women in the automotive profession outside of journalism, but like actually working for the companies. Most notably, I've interviewed twice now uh, the chief engineer of the Silverado EV, Nicole Kratz, and caught up with her, met her at the Chicago Auto Show this past year. And just had a fun time chatting with her. That, she admitted, is totally not her scene, being on the show floor talking about it. She'd much rather, like, do like she and I did in our interview and just kind of have a back back and forth and, you know, really highlight her work and the work her team has done. And then I've had her on the podcast as well. But you brought up a very interesting point that is a very sore subject here in the Fornicate household, and that is women (laughs) buying cars. Uh, My wife, the last vehicle she purchased before she and I met was a 2010 Mini Cooper, and she still goes back to that car buying story as a horror story for her. It, It was not pleasant by any means. She was going between two different mini dealerships here in Texas. I'll just leave it that vague. And they were both treating her very poorly to the fact that they were basically, I, I would say, downright harassing her and taking advantage of the fact that, you know, she didn't know, quote, all the things. Uh, because the things she told me they said were out and out not true. And, like, it, it hurts my heart being a car person, lifelong car person, that that happens in the industry. But uh, the story ended with her taking a friend's husband and the friend with her and just them showing up together, all of a sudden negotiations opened up a whole lot more. Just having extra people there and Holly will even say having a male presence there because the assumption out there is that women don't know, but that's just not true. So let me ask you this, you know, that you're wearing this very um, comfortable looking sweatshirt. Yes. Do you know how, do you know how to sew a sweatshirt? 
<laughs> Barely. It has been a <laughs> while. Know, but I mean, do you have to know how to cut the fabric nope. and and sew the seams and stitch in the you know the uh, cord for the hood and the, do you have to know how to do that in order to wear a sweatshirt absolutely i don't not. think so <laughs> so you know you don't even know you don't have to know how it's made in order to shop for it mm -hmm. you don't need to know anything about the fabric or where how that's made in order to shop for it what you need to know is is it a brand that you trust mm -hmm. or does it have the product features that you need is it a price that you can afford those are the things that you need to know and so it, it really um I, I'm, I'm with you it hurts my heart too but it actually makes me really angry i was just in a facebook conversation this morning with some women who face the same thing and it, it's funny anytime you mention the poor treatment that women get going to an auto dealership the uh the chorus of um, unanimous voices saying the same thing. It's deafening. Mm -hmm. There are so many people and not only women, but men as well. And I, so can we talk really quickly about why this is and what we can do about it? Because I do think there are very clear answers to this. And I think there are very clear causes to this. And one of the, one of the things is that the way that auto dealerships are structured in terms of an organization and an employer, they tend to not, um, they tend to not a, a, a build a, a career path or, or an employment offer that, uh, serves long-time employees. You do have long-time employees, but the newer people tend to come and go very quickly. Auto dealerships have huge turnover. And with women, it's among the highest of any industry. It's like 90% turnover in the first year of employment when you're talking about women working in automotive and mostly that is retail. And with even, but even with men, they tend to hire people, not train them very well, mm -hmm. give them goals that are maybe or probably unrealistic and arm them with no information. So when you walk into a dealership, you think about the, the salesperson that you're talking to, this is a back against the wall person. Right. So they're, if they think that they can bully you into making a decision quickly, uh, if they think they can intimidate you, that's their first that's their first thing that they're going to do because they see that as the way to get to a quick sale. Oh, well you just tell the little lady she doesn't know anything, but here's something you have know, to try to figure out how much she can afford. If she she thinks that car's cute, she's fallen in love with it. So, let's see what we can you know, she can afford $400 a month. Let's get her into $400 a month for 8 years and sell her something that's worth way less than that. And that's what happens. Um, a lot of the time and that's, and when, when customers are treated poorly, they're angry. Uh, your wife was smart to leave and come back. Sadly, they, she proved them, uh, she proved their bias by coming in with a man and being treated differently. But the worst scenario is if she actually bought the car and then realized later that she overpaid or that she overcommitted. Imagine that she bought a car with I mean, eight-year loans are something we're seeing now. It's atrocious, but <laughs> it is agree. something that we're seeing because cars have gotten so expensive. But just imagine that she spent six years paying down this car that wasn't worth what she had borrowed. 
you know, imagine that she had borrowed $40,000 and the car was really only worth $30,000. That happens a lot. And that's where people get really angry and feel really burned. Uh, and And the treatment is, you know, this happens across the board at dealers everywhere. Dealers make a lot of noise about changing their practices and uh but generally the industry has shown they they make they say a lot of the right things and then they do all the wrong things and the manufacturers are have some responsibility in this as well because they of how they structure compensation how the dealers make money so it doesn't really benefit a dealer in the short term to spend a lot of money on training even though they say they do they i don't think they always do. And then there's a culture. There's a very much of like a locker room culture mm-hmm. at many dealerships that are designed to, you know, put everybody in the ring and see who what because they, they do feel like there's a there's a uh geo geographical limitation to where these cars can be sold and how far people are willing to go. And they know if the the guy in the next town over who's selling the same brand of cars is is gonna uh, you know, go go to the mat on price against the competitor, then there's no, you know, there's no um, incentive for them to do anything differently. If they if they're both behaving poorly, right. they know that you're just you're just stuck. You're going to buy from one of them, and you're probably going to buy from the one that's closest. And honestly, what I would have said to you, now it was ten years ago, so some of these options were not available. But ten years ago, you actually could have bought that Mini Cooper online and had it shipped. From uh, there's a dealer in Idaho that does that, and there are dealers other places that do that as well. And um, they say that they give you the best price. And I'm I hate being poorly treated poorly, so I would have said, you know what, I will find a way to buy the car that I want from anyone other than you. Right, right. <laughs> and that's essentially what she came down to. Is she's like, I, I really don't want to give either one of y'all business. The one that really bullied and harassed her did not end up getting the sale in the first place. To the point, I think she wanted to take it back by there after she had purchased it from the other and be like, see, they were able to work with me. But <laughs> yeah, it's very upsetting. And it's one of the reasons why there's this distrust in general. I can't tell you how many how many stories and things I've put out about vehicles that I've tested and all the comments are, yeah, but the markup, yeah, but the markup, the, the environment that we're in right now is an unheard of situation where right off the bat, you've got five, 10, 15 K purely in markup. And I understand I've got dealer friends here in town. They're trying to run a business. They've got employees to pay and light bills and every, everything has not stopped for them except for the supply of cars. So when they get them, they need to make sure and pay everything. But it it has really just gotten insane to the point where you've got Ford saying, all right, Tesla was on to something. If you want to buy an electric vehicle from us, forget all this dealer hassle, buy them straight from us. And I know some states like Texas have laws in the books where that's not exactly how it works, but how long until you think that's how we're buying cars, just straight online? So I, I think we are buying cars straight online. And I think the answer to that is how do you want to buy your car? And if you want to buy your car 
online without, I mean, I, I do say, I do think that you need to take a test drive. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a car that I'm looking at right now and I, you know, it's, I'm a journalist. I do this all day long. And so I was looking at the, at the, at many of the different details. There's only like a gazillion details to look at, right? <laughs> right. And you can't remember them all. And by the way, if you feel like, if it feels overwhelming to you, don't feel overwhelmed because even engineers, I ask engineers questions all the time. The engineer who designed and built the car and they go, oh, I have to go look that up because mm-hmm. I don't know off the top of my head. Mm-hmm. And to me, it's like the most simple, like the, one of the critical things. And to them, it's like, well, they've been focused on all these other things. It's every detail is critical, but they, they don't want to misquote. So they right. go look it up. It's, these are complicated things. Anyway, so I was looking at this car and realized that the engine is actually much smaller than I thought it was. And so now, so I was ready to like click to purchase because I know the car, I know the brand, I have some confidence there. And then I was like, oh, I absolutely must take a test drive of this car and see if this engine feels fast and powerful enough Mm -hmm. for me to feel confident merging onto the highway. Mm -hmm. The last thing you want is to have, you know, three kids in the car and all the, you know, vacation luggage or whatever it is you have in the car, the bikes on the rack and start to merge on the highway and put the pedal to the floor and you're not going any faster. You're going to feel like you're really in danger. So you need to make sure that this car fits your life, that it's that you can manage the size, that you feel comfortable behind the wheel. So I absolutely say you have to take a test drive. And that's one reason that dealers are important. Another reason that dealers are important is, uh, Recalls. Recalls are all the time now. Every car model has recalls. Sometimes they're like kind of um, inconsequential little things, you know, it might be a, you know, a knob needs to be tightened or something, but sometimes it's really important, like something in the electrical system or something in the fuel fuel system or some, you know, whatever. With electric cars, we're going to have to be even more conscientious about recalls. So the dealers do have a really important place. And then, then you know, and the, the last part of it is selling additional merchandise, um, additional packages, dealer installed features. If you really, really, really want that, whatever it is, the roof rails or the sunroof or something that was not part of the factory um, assembly, then the dealer is going to be the one where you're going to get that. And it's going to be done right. right. And then there's aftermarket care. So just taking their your car to the dealer for whatever uh, maintenance that's recommended by the manufacturer, you want to make sure that it's done by the right person. So I don't see the dealers going away. But what I do see is a much more integrated experience that the buyers will have where they'll spend time researching a car online. They will um, start to identify whether or not the car that they want is available in their market or if they need to order it. They'll get an idea of how long it will take to order. If you Now, they say if you order a car from the manufacturer, the, the dealer is not allowed to mark it up. That's what I have been told. Um, however, Dealers are franchisees, franchisees, and they operate independent of the manufacturer. So I would not be surprised at all if you order a car online from the manufacturer and you it showed up at your dealer and the dealer said, okay, here's the price and it's a little bit more than you expected. And of course there's taxes and fees, but if they maybe decide to um, add a, a, you know, a thousand dollars a day warehousing fee or something like that, there's nothing that says that they can't do that. 
you could always refuse the vehicle. You don't, you would get your money back if you put down a deposit, but you know, there's those things that I think we still have to consider, you know, you can't, it's with new cars, it's never going to be a hundred percent online with the manufacturer because of the laws that protect dealers. Tesla's a little bit different and there are def- definitely different laws in different states. Um, there are certain states that will not allow Tesla to operate, but you know you see plenty of Teslas here in Texas. So I'm not super familiar with how they found those laws, but they do. And the, the big one now is that they um, uh, Texas will not give Tesla buyers a the uh, tax rebate because t- the Teslas do not have franchise dealers in the state. So if you buy a Tesla in Texas, you you, you could go to, uh, I guess you can't buy it anywhere. I guess you can't register it and get that tax credit in Texas, right. even if you buy it somewhere else. So anyway, but there, you know, I, I don't see dealers going away, but I do see the process becoming more and more integrated. And that's, I think, actually just a natural progression of how we buy everything online. Yep. So I don't think that that's, customers respond to it definitely people like it better but at the end of the process you need to go test drive that car and make sure it's the one that's right for you absolutely you you kind of touched on it we do this for a living we're constantly in a different vehicle i mean i've got an f-150 lightning in my garage right now so like all kinds of things come our way but when it comes down to us actually getting something new we're gonna want to test drive that model, that spec, exactly how it is. But I do feel kind of in this hybrid approach, however things are going with the dealership, that kind of makes us as journalists a little more important because we have that ready access. Trying to find a Lightning to test drive as a consumer right now is next to impossible. And some of that is it's a brand new vehicle. Some of that is chip shortage and some of that is we're not to that final step of what that new version looks like of buying online. But I I am very excited about the future of automotive journalism and the role that we can help play as the market kind of shifts and changes. So I'm, I don't know. It's, it's an exciting time to be in the industry for sure. It is. It is. Well, there, first of all, there are no bad cars. Right. So, you know, even that car that I was talking about with the smaller engine, you know, uh, um, it has a turbo, so it's pretty fast. I do have to, I have to consider it, mm-hmm. but I'm not sure it's really the right one for me, but I do have to consider it. But there are, where the, um, the journalism, journalists and our opinions are so critical is in helping consumers to understand the difference between uh, what they're being, what they're seeing advertised, mm-hmm. and what the real world usage is, and we're able to answer questions that often dealerships can't answer. I spend, I don't know if you do this, but I spend a lot of time on manufacturers' websites yes. pulling information for our stories. And our policy is, even though the manufacturer will pr- provide a lot of details and a lot of statistics, I go right to their consumer site, and that's where I get all my data. Because I want to be able to equate, you know, have that that um, uh, seamless comparison between what you see on my site and what you would see on their site. So if they if they maybe um, simplify things a little bit differently mm-hmm. in terms of whatever the specs are of a car, 
Um, if you don't see that reflected on the site, then in my mind, you have to put what's on the site. We, we, that's the data we use so that if you come to my site, what you're seeing is what you're going to see over there. So it, it adds, it matches, it adds up. Right. But um, the, you know, it's funny. Um, journalism is in a really tenuous place right now. And we have been for the last, gosh, five or six years, um, seven years, I think, really. We've been in a very difficult place where people have accused uh, journalists of making things up or fake news and um, journalists are being targeted and, and even in some countries murdered for what they do. Um, a lot of governments around the world have felt the, um, uh, they've felt the uh, um, ability to, or the, the, I guess, authority to shut down media and to um, censor uh, information that's shared with their, um, their citizens and constituents. And that's something that we see a lot of going on right now, especially with the war in Ukraine. Mm -hmm. And then we see tons and tons and tons of misinformation on things. And, you know, it's affected a couple of elections. It's probably going to affect the upcoming election. They're saying there's a lot of misinformation out there on TikTok right now. And then complicating all of this is people not really um, discerning the difference between social media and entertainment and, and actual news. And so all of that, what happens is all of this information becomes a huge blur and it's really hard for people to pull out those critical details that they need to know for whatever it is, whether it's trying to decide on a political candidate, whether it's trying to understand what's going on in a foreign war, or whether it's trying to decide how to spend $50,000 that you're going to be committed to over the next six or seven years of your life which is a pretty big decision. It's a very weighty decision. So I do feel that um, that our role is critical and it's important. And, uh, and I feel very proud that we're here to provide answers. And we don't always know the answers, but we know how to find the answers or find the person who can give us the answer. So I do hope that um, that every person shopping for a car goes to and looks at a, an unbiased mm-hmm. journalist opinion of that car. And, you know, if you want the super insider um, speaking the language of the sport, there are a lot of outlets that do that. If you want the plain speak, how does this fit my life? Outlets like mine are the ones that are designed exactly for that. We don't talk a lot about the deep specs and the mechanics of the car, but we talk about how accessible is the third row and is the engine um, big enough to give you confidence merging onto the highway and is, is the uh, car so high that if you're an average sized person, there's no way you can reach the roof rails without a ladder. Right. <laughs> so those are the, those are the things people need to know. And uh, I feel, I feel very proud to be a part of the uh, journalist community. Yeah. I would say the one that has hit me and some of my peers here locally that I I run with is the impression that our opinions are bought and paid for. And that, that, that one hurts while yes, Ford did bring the aforementioned lightning to me. There is no stipulation on what I publish. They literally say, here it is. You have it for a week. Don't destroy it. And from there, I, 
put it through my normal battery of tests and I give my honest opinion on it. So, uh, you know, I can't speak to every outlet out there. I know even the big names like Doug DeMuro just put out a video not too long ago about the struggles that he faces with millions of subscribers on YouTube. And I watched mm -hmm. it and I was like, you know what? We're, we're on the same level, even though like he's got the scale. So it, it's just interesting to see um, the outsider's view of us as journalists. But I know you, I've been following you and uh, your career and know the integrity of your site and very appreciative for all of my peers that I know are in it for the right reasons that, again, want to get the right information out to the consumers who need it for their big purchase. You know, the the comment that people think that we're, our opinions are paid is that does hurt. That does really hurt. And and honestly, um, if, if for anybody who wants to know, if you want to know if an opinion or a statement is paid for, it has to be disclosed mm -hmm. that way. We have laws in this country. Unfortunately, there are people who don't adhere to those laws. And, you know, a lot of them have millions and millions of followers on Instagram and hawk their makeup brands and other companies' brands, and they don't disclose that they were paid for that to create that content. Uh, but we we have to, and we actually disclose every time, a, we disclose what the uh, arrangement was that allowed us to test that vehicle. So sometimes it was, we were, we flew, we were flown to an, mm -hmm. an event the manufacturer paid for our airfare and paid for our hotels and provided our meals and then also <clears throat> provided the car for us to test drive. I will say that is some of the hardest work I do because it sounds really glamorous, but um, it's not. In fact, I was in the uh, Ford F-150 Lightning mm -hmm. test driving that and and uh, shot a video about it. And um they, they gave us, you know, I didn't have to fly to that because it was only an hour away. So I was able to uh, drive to San Antonio for that test drive. But they took us out. They, they rented a ranch where we could uh, drive off-road and we could drive on-road. And then we could actually drive through an autocross course. So we're able to put the car through all its paces in a way that I would never do in my neighborhood. Right. And I probably would not be willing to do with the manufacturer's vehicle if I had it on loan for a week. Because I don't want to damage it. I mean, I don't want to take a chance on going off-roading and, you know, scratch it up with rocks or or worse and have, you know, and be responsible for some damage to the vehicle. So that so I was able to do things that I wouldn't normally do. But then I also uh, found a finally searched and searched, finally found a place to shoot my video. It was in a field of goat poop. <laughs> so I'm standing, like I'm lucky I was wearing boots. Standing all day, or not all day, but all afternoon in this field with there's goat poop underneath, underfoot. And it was, a, you know, I was kind of stuck there. So, you know, you, you do what you got to do. And then, you know, we start on those days, we start really early. We'll start at seven or eight o'clock in the morning and head out. And then we're usually not done until about six in the afternoon. And we have a, we have a huge, I know I have a huge long list of things I need to accomplish. So, right. you know, by the time I come home from those trips, I'm pretty tired. And then I still have all the hard work ahead of me. I still have to write my story. I still have to edit my video. I still have to plan and share my social media content. And that is, if you want to know, if anybody wants to know how we get paid, 
It's we get paid by the advertising that is um, shown around our content. So right. if you go to my YouTube and there's a video before my YouTube video starts, that uh, is, I'm making money from that. If you go to my site and there's an ad, maybe a pop-up ad that shows a video, or maybe there's a pop-up, uh, maybe there's a banner ad or something like that. That's how I make money. I do not make money from the manufacturers. They stage events that they invite us to so we can cover their vehicles. And then they deliver vehicles to us for you know a few days or a week so we can test drive them at home. And that's, that's how we are able to do our job. But could I really afford to buy every car that we review? Absolutely right, not. That right. would cost, you know, millions and millions of dollars if we could even get them. And then even though I could turn around and resell them, I would still, it would still cost me a lot of money. And there's no way I would be able to do all the content that we do. I probably would spend most of my time buying cars and selling cars. <laughs> That's not what I do. So, right. um, so it, you know, it's it, it's interesting that people think that, and I I've heard other people say that too because of the events. But um, you know, it, you as a consumer need to develop trust with media mm-hmm. outlets, and that is for anything that you buy, right. and you know, from a car to a lipstick to you know a house, a college education, whatever it is that you're buying. You need to develop trusted sources that you go to who continually and reliably give you good information and that are trusted by others that have, you know, third party recommendation. They won awards. They have um, the trust of the sources that they work with and the brands that advertise on them. If you go to a site and all the advertisers are you know, cheap, sleazy, whatever, vice-based, and right. you don't see legitimate, well, repu- you know, good reputation brands there, there's probably something wrong with the content. And uh, you should question that. So thanks for bringing that up. <laughs> yes. Well, that kind of segues nicely into a little bit of your history and how you got into automotive you said when i first asked you 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 really like to get into all things automotive but what brought brought you in how long have you been in the automotive oh my space? gosh you know so it's funny um i like to say uh i did not find automotive automotive found me i did not want to do this in fact it was um a, about nine years ago um i've been a journalist my whole career and i was a stringer for the new york times i wrote for town and country i covered uh, marketing, advertising, and luxury marketing for Adweek for almost 10 years. Okay. And so that's my background. And uh, and then I did conferences. I wrote a book, wrote two books, actually. And so after doing all these things, um, a friend of mine said, hey, I have this idea about starting a car site for women. And I said, oh, I, I don't want anything to do with cars. cars. The automotive industry is not friendly to women and automotive content is not friendly to women. And um, then, so after I said that, I thought, well, gee, you know, but women buy a lot of cars and I wonder if there's an opportunity there. So I started doing the research and what I found was there really were only a a couple, maybe three or four sites that were created for women and very small players. And that women buy or influence the purchase of 85% of all cars. So that's, you're talking about like over $500 billion a year uh, in cars and light trucks and SUVs and, and pickups 
are bought by or influenced by women and women outright buy 65% of all cars and light trucks. So that's a huge, huge, huge amount of money that women are spending that there is no voice for them as a consumer or directing information to them so that they make an intelligent purchase. And learning that was so compelling uh, from at that point, I could not walk away. Right. <laughs> so, uh, so I decided, okay, then what I'm going to do is I'm going to learn this business and I'm going to meet as many people as I can. And I'm going to build as many relationships as I can. I've always been very proud of my reputation as a journalist mm-hmm. in um, being truthful and um, not biased and having good relationships with sources. And there was a time in my career where I broke a lot of news and there were, you know, there were those wins where you would break news and then the Wall Street Journal would have to follow you or the New York Times would have to follow you. That happened, which was amazing. But that is not, that's not who we are. And uh, as much as I loved having those wins and the, the elation and the adrenaline from something like that's pretty incredible. Um, that's not really what, that's not what the car business is. And that's not going to help women be smarter, more confident consumers. And so, so we crafted our mission, which was to empower women to be happier and more confident car buyers and owners, because uh, we do cover maintenance as well as car buying. And we cover, you know, buying used cars and um, really everything that you need to know about car uh, buying and ownership. And so in order to, so what are the, the things that we needed to do to help women to be more confident? Well, um, giving them good reviews on their terms. So we call that cars on cars on your terms. Um, how women think about cars, how women talk about cars and what women get, get passionate about when you start to talk about cars. And um, a lot of content, a lot of content actually, and you know this, um, I'm sure you see this every day in your research, but I think everybody knows this. A lot of content out there is fear-based they, or it's salacious. You know, right. click to see this bad plastic surgery. Did you know this eating this one right. stupid thing can kill you, you know, or kill your child or whatever? I mean, there's a lot of it is fear-based and a lot of it is salacious. And um, so our challenge has been because we don't do that. And, uh, it, and that's the one thing that will destroy trust. I never, every now and then they get me and I see something, oh, I have to click and see this. Right. And then I, I will tell you, it's usually a disappointing experience. And I never remember that site. It's not something I bookmark. It's not right. something I say, oh, that was really valuable. It's not something I say, oh, I, I have to share that with my family or post it on Facebook. Um, it's, it's, they're there just to get your eyeballs and, and, and those sites have the lowest, uh, ad revenue as well, because it was not quality content. It was not a quality, it was not, they didn't sell me, they didn't convince me of anything. They didn't, it's, you know, there's no collective sensibility there that helps me to make a, a consumer decision, which is what advertising is all about. So, um, we decided very early on that we were going to take the the high road, which is always the more difficult one, and create a, a user service, very friendly place for women to learn about cars. And by the way, thirty five percent of our audience is male, and we let we get very much the, from the questions and conversations we have. It's the plain language and the confidence mm-hmm. that we help our consumers 
uh, create when they're um, dealing with their car issues. Yeah, it was those t- statistics, I can get the word out, that really <laughs> changed the trajectory here at GT Garage Talk at the beginning of 2022. I brought my wife on, who, again, is not, she does not live, breathe cars the way I do. Uh, I've been a car guy <laughs> since I was nine, since I, I w- was a child, and like, I, I read in my spare time, like that is fun for me. It is not for her. And so bringing her on now, every vehicle we get, we kind of do a dual approach. So at the beginning of the week, I'll do what I call a solo review where I give my impression as a lifelong car guy of, you know, what's the acceleration like? What's it like? How does it perform? How does it turn? Uh, I take them off road if I can take them off road. And then at the end of the week, we take our four-year-old son and we talk about how easy is it to get the uh, child seat in the back? Uh, how e- easy is it to get the child in the child seat? Uh, how does it yes. How does it drive in city traffic? How does it work for her at five foot? How does it work for the two of us? Because I'm 5'10", she's five foot, we're constantly moving seats. How does it work as a family vehicle? How does it work in daily life? And so since bringing her on at the beginning of the year, she's had questions for me, like, how much do you want me to research? And I'm like, I want you to be as comfortable as you are, as you can be on camera talking about this car. So if you need research, I'll give you avenues to research. If you want to just give your honest first impressions and opinions, give your honest first impressions and opinions. And and that's more or less the approach we've gone with. And, uh, of course, we talk about it more as we drive it and stuff like that. But it, it it's been fun just getting to see cars from her perspective and getting to take a step back. And then it's been fun just involving my whole family. And I've ruined our son, Tucker, at a very early age because getting a new car every week, he's always excited about what shows up. Uh, I've got a picture of the Genesis GV60 on my wallpaper right now. He literally gave it a kiss goodbye when it left. So <laughs> I, I, I know so for great. a fact I have ruined my son at a very early age. So yeah, it's... you know what? We I, same thing here. So I've been doing this nine years. My uh, my daughter's my youngest daughter is a junior in college now. So she was used to. And my older daughter has graduated from college. They were used to having new cars in the driveway and new cars for road trips. And, mm-hmm. um, and, and me having to say, I'm sorry, but I have to stop and shoot video yes. or do social media, whatever it's work. It's, you know, so you have to bear with me. And so they're totally used to that or being in the photos. They were in so many photos and the car seats and, you know, all of it. And uh, then my, so when it came time to buy them their cars, which uh, we buy as a family, we put the money down, but they have a responsibility to these cars. So we're, I'm not paying 100%. Um, they made their own very informed choices. And they're also charged with their maintenance. So uh, my younger daughter has a Volkswagen Tiguan. And she, you know, she's had this car for about a year now. And she just keeps telling me all these little things that she notices between her car and other cars, she knows the horsepower of it. She knows, you know, all these little details about it that, um, 
uh, are things that you never would have right. things I would think never to ask even like one one thing she pointed out was that the seats and the center console are so close together you can't drop anything between the seat and the console hmm. whereas other seats you know many cars have a, a nice sizable gap there and then you can look down and you can see that rail that the car that the seat sits on to move forward and back and then you can see right where you dropped your earring and you're never going to be able to get it yeah. just <laughs> so. wide enough that you can see it but there it rests yes exactly so i by the way i'm so glad that you that you brought holly on to uh to share opinions and that your and your son as well i hope that you'll find in the video comments um, as you explore the uh, the more useful features, especially the family friendly features, but just the the useful details, we don't um, we have a, a, a editorial policy called be um, objective, be factual, not critical, mm -hmm. and it's really all about objectivity. There's not a car out there that was developed for under like a billion dollars, right? right? So even the car that is super inexpensive and super basic. The manufacturer still invested a billion dollars in designing and building and selling that car. So we don't take any car lightly or casually. And our goal is for every car that we review to, to look at it from the point of view of the person who would buy that car. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it might be, um, for instance, I had one writer who was in a base model. Uh, gosh, I forget what it was. It was like a Kia Rio or something. And she said, you know, she drives luxury cars. She said, I just don't even know what to say about this. I said, well, think about the 18-year-old you, and this is your first car. What would you appreciate? And what would you caution others that they know? And we, so we use that factual, not critical. Here's what you need to know. It does not have blah, 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 blah. Here's what is great about it. It is you can park in any parking spot anywhere on the face of the earth, pretty much. Yep. <laughs> so, you know, you're probably never going to fill it full of people and you're going to have plenty of power to get onto the highway. So, you know, um, that's how we look at things. And we find that with, especially with the family stuff, you know, about the car seats and the third row and, um, you know, different uh, details that especially uh, also going into the uh, multimedia screen mm -hmm. and looking at different details that will that you can set up to make your uh, time in the car more seamless. You can do other things while you're driving, sending texts and that kind of thing, easily change the radio station to one of your favorites, that kind of stuff. Um, we get really nice comments on YouTube. When we're not debating, because we don't do this, we don't debate the details and all the gearhead stuff. And we don't get those trolls. Right. And I feel really grateful. We have some of the most helpful and rewarding comments from our audience. And they all come through, or a lot of them come through YouTube. Uh, as we talk about in the GV60, that was one of them, where we just went through, I mean, it's not necessarily a family car. It's very family friendly because it has a big back seat. Right. But it's not necessarily the car I would think of if I have three kids and I need something for carpools and road trips probably not the first car I would think of, but it would be great for that. But it's got some super fun details. Absolutely. And talking about all those details is where uh, readers find um, not only uh, delight in spending time with your video, but also leave really nice comments about the, the things that you showed them. So I feel like maybe we're um, entering an era of 
of automotive content where we're really focusing more deeply on the product and resonating more deeply with the consumer. Yeah. Holly's favorite feature of that GV60 was the rotating gear selector. Mine, uh, I'll say my most surprising feature was the glove box, which is a drawer. Like, I loved yeah. it. It Just something so simple, but so out of the norm that I, I truly appreciate just some of the quirkiness of that little car. And we have not met a Hyundai Kia Genesis product that we have not just had a smile on our face when it oh, left yeah. us. I loved the, uh, now I, I was uh, able to use the face identification mm -hmm, mm -hmm. feature. And I will say, I think that was, that was the thing I liked the most. There's a camera embedded in the, in the door panel and you just walk up, it recognizes you. And then you can uh, set the, there's a fingerprint sensor. You can set it to recognize your fingerprint and with your face and your fingerprint, you don't ever need a key. And I, that was, I think one of the coolest things I've ever experienced was just literally getting in and driving. Now, if you have your key buried in your, in the bottom of your purse, which is where mine stays, right. um, you actually can just walk up and kind of do the same thing. But think about you're going for your four mile run and two mile walk. And you want to do that without taking a, a bag or a wallet or something. Um, you can do that in the GV60. You can't do that really in any other car, other, any other car you would need your Go phone, you could do that. Any of the cars that have the digital key, you could do that with your phone. It's not many of them, but there are a few. And now Genesis and Hyundai have announced they have an advanced digital key where you could actually do all that with your Apple Watch. Yep. So, yeah, so, so we're getting there. We're getting there. But I think that's a that that was cool. I really love the just the beautiful interior of the GV60. Oh, yes. I felt like that's a car I could just sit in all day because it's just so beautiful. It's like being in a, like a designer salon. Yes. It's so gorgeous. So it's funny that you bring up the facial recognition because Holly is, her and technology ha have a much different relationship than I do <laughs> with technology. I, I love all things Apple. I'm wearing my Apple watch and yes, all things. Uh, so I absolutely loved the facial recognition and it was actually seeing uh, our Genesis rep give a demonstration online, I shot him an email. I said, I've got to try this out. Can you please put me on the list for this car? And so unbeknownst to her, uh, when we went to church that Sunday while we had the car, our church is literally walking distance from our house. Um, so nice and convenient. I did not tell her I intentionally left the key behind, but I was, I was curious. I was like, real world scenario. How does this work? Is it reliable? Because she's always worried about what to do with the digital key if her phone is dead. She's always like, but what if, but what if? That's always her question with the technology, but what if? So again, unbeknownst to her, knowing that I could walk home and get the key if I needed it, I left the key at home and didn't tell her until we were driving home. I was like, so you realize we're doing all this completely without a key. And she's like, okay. She, she came around on it a little bit because as I described in my video, I was like, like the battery is never going to run out on my face. Just as long as that camera is yeah. reliable enough. And by the time I pulled this little stunt, I had gone enough places 
where and tried many different combinations of trying to fool the camera to where I felt confident I could pull off that little stunt and get home safely. <laughs> That's great. You know, it's it's funny. There are let's talk really quickly about technology and what they call the the take rate or the adaption rate of the technology that people use. And the for the uh, phone as a key, which they, they call digital key, I like to think of it as phone as a key because mm-hmm. you just use an app on your phone to um, unlock, start, drive, and lock your car. Plus, you can do a whole bunch of other right. things. Only like 10% or less of people who have that capability actually use it. And then the rate of people who use things like adaptive cruise control or um lane departure assist or collision avoidance um, well the collision some of those things are built in so you can you can turn them off but you they just come on and and they kind of are startling when people recognize that their this system has engaged but there's a lot of things there's a lot of people who don't even use bluetooth i do think people use apple carplay right but a lot of people don't use bluetooth anymore and um the and a lot of people never did they just would you know you see them driving around talking on their phones and they get a ticket you're like dude you got bluetooth all you need to do is connect your phone to your car and you're good to go you don't need to get a a very expensive ticket for talking on your phone while you're driving so there's so much technology in these cars and i think the skepticism is absolutely warranted Mm -hmm. in you know the idea of how much do i trust this car and then tesla has done us a huge disfavor in um, communicating this autopilot idea to yes quote unquote autopilot idea to its owners giving them the idea that the car can actually drive itself which I'm sure at some point it will be able to, but we know, we know, we know, we know mm-hmm. that all of the systems that we need to be in place and highly functional, like at a hundred percent are not there and they don't, and the ones that are there don't work at a hundred percent to keep cars safely moving on the road without hurting another person or having a, an incident. So, um, because of that, though, I think people are skeptical about the systems that they do have. And so I, I hope that uh, I'm so glad that you're testing out this technology. We do it, too. And we try to do a lot of the like how things work mm-hmm. and how you do this, because that's where people gain knowledge and confidence. And then when anytime I get a chance to put somebody in a car and have them use adaptive cruise or even better, like park assist, you know, uh, semi-autonomous mm-hmm. parking where you let, let the car. We've done a lot of those videos where you let the car do the parking. Um, and I take my hands off the wheel, <laughs> let the car do the, do the, the, the hard work. Um, that really goes a long way towards people understanding what uh, their cars are capable of. And I think the more the more people you have talking about this and expressing confidence because they understand it and they've done it and they are, they have confidence that it works, the more quickly that that technology is going to be free included and standard in every model, right. the more uh, quickly that technology will grow into new technologies that will make our time behind the wheel even more fun and relaxing and not as stressful. And then the quicker we'll get to those autonomous drive periods, maybe it's just the highways, but wouldn't it be nice to drive 
you know, several hundred miles on an interstate highway, just completely relaxed behind the, the driver's seat, behind the steering wheel, and not have to worry about trucks slowing and cars zooming around you and all that. And everybody's kind of driving the same speed and you're able to plan your next exit off the highway and the car does all that for you. That would be, it would get rid of traffic. It would get rid of traffic jams. It would reduce emissions. It would reduce accidents. That's what we want to get to is that point where we're reducing the damage that we leave behind from our driving in terms of missions and accidents. And that's how we get to it is by everybody adapting all the technology yep. that's in the car. Now you're starting to sound like uh, CEO of GM Mary Barra. <laughs> there are zero emissions, zero congestion, and zero crashes, I believe, were there yeah. three, three zeros. But well, Scotty, I, I could keep talking to you for much longer, but to be respectful of your time, I will pivot into our final segment called Random Misfire. I've got a long list of questions, but I will pick my eight favorite just from getting to know you over the course of this interview. Uh, they're just fun, this or that, uh, kind of a lightning round if you're ready. Okay, let's do it. First one is, I, I ask it of everyone, it, does, it never leaves the rotation. Do you name your vehicles? Absolutely. Any fun, notable names uh, that come to mind? We had a, a 1995, sorry, not, a 2005, <laughs> oh boy, 2005 Toyota Highlander Hybrid. It was the first generation that was white. And we brought it home and I asked my daughters who were like in kindergarten and second grade, uh, what should we name this car? And without knowing anything about it, not knowing it was Japanese, for some reason they said Yoko. Okay. So our first generation Highlander hybrid, which was white with a beige interior, was named Yoko. I love that one. I have long breaking news here on this episode. I've long said every vehicle that I've owned, I've named up into our 2014 Jeep Cherokee Trailhawk that my wife and I bought to replace the Mini Cooper when we decided to start a family. We can never agree on a name for the Jeep. Well, our four-year-old son took it upon himself. Uh, he's into rhyming right now. Our dog's name is Tia. She's a Chihuahua. We've had several Kia vehicles. He has realized Kia and Tia rhyme. And so our Jeep's name is Kia Tia. <laughs> so it's actually... The Kia Tia Jeep. That's yes. That, uh, breaking news. Uh, as many times as I've brought up that Jeep on this segment, uh, I I can actually say the Jeep has a name now. It's Kia Tia. So there you go. <laughs> That's cute. All right. Uh, you mentioned the Ford Lightning event that you got to go to. And I, I've been invited to some events. I know what it's like. We're about to have one this October for Texas Auto Riders. What is your preference on road or off? Oh, um, as much as I love off road and it's super fun on road, on road is where I learn everything. Mm -hmm. And they, and just, um, you know, what is this car like to drive? How do you feel behind the wheel? for most of your driving. And I really do love to find those curvy roads, the good hills, mm -hmm. um, the on-ramps that like, there's a few on-ramps uh, that I love. And ev everywhere I go, I have my favorite roads. So New York, where I used to live until I moved to Texas, 
um, California. I have my favorite roads. And often they're a combination of hills and curves. Mm -hmm. And I love to get out on those roads and drive. So definitely on road. Yeah, I, I definitely have a few roads that I keep in my back pocket for, you know, when when I need a little pick me up or when I'm in a vehicle that just needs to be explored a little bit further. But mm -hmm. always safe driving. Mm -hmm. Always. Uh, we've talked a lot about technology on uh, this episode. More tech or less tech? Oh, I think more tech. I think more intuitive tech. So um, I, I definitely like to see, I, you and I both have the privilege of driving a lot of cars that are, almost every car that I drive is the top of the line or near it. Mm -hmm. So it usually is pretty well loaded with technology that uh, you might have to include a package or two in order to get those. Uh, so they're additional expense mm -hmm. if you are buying that car. Uh, which I don't love because I think a lot of that technology should be included. Um, but I do love when manufacturers include that technology and make it very intuitive. To The example that I think is my favorite right now is the new multimedia system from Toyota. Okay. And you're also starting to see it roll out in Lexus. And uh, Lincoln has it, BMW has it, Audi has it, uh, Mercedes has it, to name a few. Toyota, I think, is the first mainstream brand. Within a few years, everybody will have it. But right now, I'm I'm not critical, but I feel like maybe I could be about brands that are not introducing this. And that is the voiced activated assistant. Mm -hmm. So, you know, at home, you say, hey, Alexa, add toilet paper to the shopping list or whatever. Well, which funny, I don't even have Alexa in my house, right. but um, but you or you might have the Google system mm -hmm. in the car. Once you have activated, you do have to go into your multimedia screen under vehicle settings and activate the wake word. But once you've activated your wake word, anytime you say, hey, Toyota, hey, Lexus, hey, Mercedes, whichever of the brands that have this, the voice will say, how may I help you? Just like it does at home or just like Siri as well. And Toyota, uh, as well as some of these other manufacturers, not only have a system that will do the things that we're used to, setting navigation, changing the radio station, changing the cabin temperature, but they can even like roll down the windows. They can, um, you can say things like uh, call the restaurant, mm -hmm. you know, they, you know, we're set the destination for this restaurant, call the restaurant. So it, it, you don't have to go through all these steps. It's very intuitive and that's going to become more and more intuitive as uh, as time goes on, where all, we're, our cars, we'll be talking to our cars a lot in the future. I love that. I was very impressed. You brought up Mercedes. We've had the E53, the C300, and the S580, and loved the tech as far as their inbox system. Uh, you could say, hey, Mercedes, I'm hot or I'm cold from any seat, and she knew where the person speaking to her yes. was coming from that blew my mind i was in the passenger seat and i said i'm i'm hot and she turned down the passenger seat air conditioning i was like that's really cool and uh so i i was thoroughly impressed with that system and then to see the engineers bake in some jokes so <laughs> yes what, yes the E53 we were in was the performance model, and if you asked her what she thought about BMW, one of the B Mercedes top rivals, she said, I love seeing them in my rearview mirror. 
And which is funny for a performance model, but the other two vehicles that we got were more on the luxury focus, less on the sport. And uh, her response was, well, the same as you do, because you are sitting here right now. And I just think that <laughs> just fun, so witty good. little comments. They, uh, one of my favorite, my favorite joke that the uh, Mercedes cars have, and they, they do program these in. Uh, so it's not, the, and they give they put a lot of them in so you get different answers all the time but if you ask mercedes if she knows any jokes hey mercedes do you know any jokes her answer often is i'm sorry my engineers are german <laughs> i got that one a few times as well <laughs> i was like you know you're this the self-awareness here is is on point it is good it is good yes so on the idea of technology, manual or automatic? Oh, my gosh. So um, you mean like a transmission? Yes. Yeah. So I will say uh, I am very much an old school driver and I love a manual. In fact, right now, I my car right now is a manual. Um, it's a BMW. And I am shopping for another manual. And I'll tell you what it is, because if you if I find it, I have not, I've found a couple and I have walked away from them for specific reasons because they just didn't vet. So, and I'm now I'm kind of, it's been, I've been doing this since January, looking since January, I gave myself a year. So now I'm starting to worry. I'm not going to find it, but I'm shopping for a manual uh, Porsche Cayenne. Okay. And when you, if you start to narrow down uh, SUVs of the manual, there's only a handful. Mm -hmm. And then manual transmissions typically are in the base model, but the base model of the Porsche Cayenne is very nice. And then they only did it in the first generation and the second generation up to 2014. And I really don't, I really like the second generation much more than the first generation. So I'm really only shopping in that uh, 2012 to 2014. Those are the, the years, the second generation started in 2011, but the 2011 also had a new engine, a lot of other new things. So I really don't want to go down that road. So I'm really focused on 2012 to 2014. And I do find, I found a couple, but like I said, they just didn't vet out. And because uh, I'm, the one thing I don't want is to buy an older car that's going to cost me a fortune and, right. uh, you know, getting to know my local mechanic really well. So, um, <laughs> but uh, I do feel like one uh, manual, driving a manual puts you so close to the machine and the road. Mm -hmm. And if you really want to know what it feels like to be at one with the machine, learn to drive a stick shift. We actually have a story uh, that our friend Kristen Shaw wrote for us. Yes. Um, uh, cars that are good to good, per, good investment to learn to drive a manual. So you don't need to spend a ton of money, but if you want a little like fun little weekend car um, you know, Miata or Fiat, or you know, you need a third car for the driveway because uh, you got other people who need to use it. Buy something really fun and a stick shift that um, that other people and that you can drive occasionally and give yourself a break from you know the suburban or the minivan or whatever your daily driver is. And then um, and everybody in the family can learn to drive a manual, and it, it really does make you feel like you're one with the car, but. Here's the, the other thing is if I find my Porsche, I think it might be my last gas car. Yeah. Interesting. So we're looking, we're looking at the end of the, the, 
gas cars being the, like you will, I don't think they're going to completely go away, but I think a lot of us are going to move to electric cars. And I see myself going that direction at some point. Well, that, that is one of the questions on my list. So I'll go ahead and take it off the ice or EV (laughs) debate. Uh, Here in our household, there are, again, that GV60 really resonated well with us. Uh, Money, no issue. I think our two car garage would be something fun and electric for daily driving and uh, a plug-in hybrid for long-haul trips. Because living in the state of Texas, you know, to go anywhere, you're going to be in the car for a while. And so plug-in hybrids kind of give you the best of both worlds in in that respect. So, yeah, Uh, we are are on the cusp of a new world. And it's interesting to see take shape. So yeah, let's see. it sure is. That's five down. Number six, color or grayscale for your vehicles? Oh, oh gosh. Um, <laughs> you know, it's so funny because uh, the exterior color is not one I'm so married to. Okay. I really love the interior color. That's what drives me more than anything. I cannot stand black on black. But a black car with a beige or a cream or a white interior, I can do that. Um, you know, I, I would say as much. I, I, there's certain there's certain car colors that I really dislike. I really dislike silver, but I like gray. <laughs> Same. I really I, I agree dislike with you black. Uh, I like white, but I love white. Mm-hmm. I don't love black anymore. I used to love black. I had all black cars for a long time. And I just don't like it anymore. It just feels so, I don't know, old and and unfresh. And uh, but white always feels fresh. And if it's a pearlescent, mm-hmm. even more so. Although certain cars, Subaru Crosstrek is one, must be a color mm-hmm. like that beautiful orange they did. Mm-hmm. They did a really beautiful like robin's egg blue. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, if you if I was going to buy a Subaru Crosstrek, it would have to be in one of those spectacular colors. The other car that I think does is just amazing. Like I, my head turns every time I pass one is Mazda's uh, Crystal Soul Red. Yes. That red Mazda paint is unlike anything else. And by the way, if anybody ever buys a Mazda in any other color, you're out of your mind. Yeah, what are you thinking? <laughs> what are you thinking? Yeah, it, it's funny that you bring up interior color because that that is something that has almost 100% sold me on Genesis as a brand because they've started doing Navy. I love Navy interiors. And, uh, so that, that's a big seller. You know, red has been long popular Cadillac for a very short window had a plum purple interior on the XT four that I'm like, why did, why, why was this not played up more and very narrow option on the exterior color that you could pair with it, but a pearl white with a plum interior. Oh, oh that's like, beautiful. I, I would have been yeah. all over that car if I were in the market. Yeah. So <laughs> that's very... beautiful. Yeah. You know what happens is kind of going back to our dealers conversation mm-hmm. with about the dealers is they put all these colors out there, but the dealers are the ones who make the decision. So very few customers actually order the car with the, the pairings that they're recommending or that they offer. And the dealers buy the color combinations they deem most safe. Right. And that's why so many of them are black 
exterior with black interior. That's why the dark interiors are so popular. You have a four-year-old son. I will tell you from raising children, there are two things I will never want to have with small children. A dark colored interior because you cannot see stuff that's spilled on the seats or the floor. So I feel like every time I would get into that car, it's like walking into, you know, um, walking into a minefield of God knows what is going to be spilled or stuck or whatever, because they don't tell you, Mm -hmm. you know, don't stick your hand in the cup holder because that will be unpleasant. (laughs) But if it's a beige interior, you can see that stuff to clean it while it's fresh, not three days later after it's like, it's become this disgusting mucky mess. And then your kids are like, Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't realize. And you know, they're four. So you, you hope that they're going to learn to tell you these things, but if you can see it, you can clean it. That's one. And two is leather does not absorb the sweat of soccer practice the way cloth does. Mm-hmm. And I don't care what anybody says about cloth interiors. I don't care how they create them. Some of them are really beautiful. Volvo does some really beautiful recycled um, post-consumer uh, plastics and wool and like these some really beautiful interiors, but anything that's woven is going to absorb smell. And if you're putting kids in the car, if it's just, you know, you and your wife and maybe you're a very clean, non-shedding dog, then that interior probably will last beautifully. But if you're going to put kids, you're going to put your dog, you're going to, you know, go for a run and sit in the driver's seat. Maybe you're a little sweaty. Um, Your car is going to smell like that. And so leather or or a leather lake, a leatherette, they're making some amazing, going back to Genesis, that Genesis GV60 interior, those leather seats are not actually leather. Those are post-consumer ocean plastics. Wow. That they use, they well, they use some ocean plastics in the door. It might not actually be the seats, but they use post-consumer plastics in, to create that leather and uh, leatherette. They call it something else, but it's a leatherette basically. Mm-hmm. But it's it's vinyl. It's so well done. It actually is more resilient than leather. Will last probably will last longer, and it feels great and it looks great and it's it mm-hmm. smells lovely and it cleans up beautifully. Yep. Yep. And that's what I prefer. Yep. Okay, I'll step down from my soapbox now. <laughs> no, absolutely. I, I agree on all points. Favorite road trip snack? Oh my gosh, favorite road trip snack. Oh, that's a hard one. Um, you know, we usually hit like Trader Joe's on our way on a, on a, out on a road trip and we and everybody just buys what they want. And so usually it's like trail mix mm. and there's always some chocolate in there and uh, some good crackers and that kind of thing. Um, I think our favorite road trip thing, though, is to actually um, jump from one Starbucks to another. Okay. And so we, we go in and we, we do the quick, the quick stop. We order the drinks on the app. We order some food on the app. We run in, we use the bathroom, we grab our stuff and we're back on the road really quickly. And, uh, and then that Starbucks stop also allows us to get rid of the garbage yep. along the way. So yep. that that's I, I think where my uh, where my favorite is. All right, last one. Staying with the okay. road trip theme, what is on your playlist for a long drive? Is it a podcast? Is it a Ooh. genre? <laughs> so multi answer, multi faceted uh, answer here. So if it's just me driving, 
I will load up one podcast after another. And I like the serialized ones where, you know, they tell a story over 10 episodes or something. And so I can really follow along. Um, So I love those. And that like pretty much keeps me going. Although I always keep uh, something with some high energy. So if I start to get tired, you know, I can um, put on something high energy. Uh, With my kids, when they were younger, we, every road trip, uh, there was a sort of a, a special guest in the car with us. So one year it was Madonna and we learned and sang like Madonna's entire library. Another year it was Elton John. <laughs> That's right. We were voguing <laughs> the whole way from New York to Florida. And then one year it was Elton John. We learned all of Elton John's music. Um, another year, we many years actually, because we used to do this like twice a year, uh, we would do Broadway, uh, Broadway soundtracks. So the year that Wicked came out, we learned Wicked. And I think we road tripped with the Wicked soundtrack probably three or four times before we even saw the show. So by the time we saw the show, we knew every song cold. Um, and I will say it was actually maybe a little like deflating or disappointing because we knew the music so well. Right seeing the show was like we were able to there were no surprises really so um but that was fun and then um the soundtrack to annie of course when my my daughters were little and every every little girl loves annie so that was a big one but the broadway the broadway soundtracks now my daughters are older so when we road trip it is uh we play um uh, ipod roulette and so each person gets to play for a while and then generally as a parent of teenagers when the music becomes objectionable then i make somebody else okay you've lost your privilege (laughs) then moves on to the next person so that's a nice tip so that's how we do it now yeah right now we're (laughs) stuck between mickey mouse clubhouse and uh i don't even know how we stumbled on it but there's an artist called mike whitla he does um, dinosaur songs, and there's a YouTube channel that has made cartoons of his dinosaur songs. So we we bounce back and forth between Mickey Mouse Clubhouse and dinosaurs. <laughs> yeah, well, we were in that place as well, and I, I tried so hard to move it off to things we could all sing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I will tell you, if you an 18-hour road trip, which we did quite a few of those, going back and forth between New York and Florida, if you're singing... If you have a, a soundtrack that's maybe, I don't know, like two hours long and you're singing your way through that, you'll go through the soundtrack like maybe two or three times and you're there. It is right. so fast when you're singing. <laughs> well, Scotty, I, I'm watching the time. Again, we could talk much, much longer, no, I'm sure. But <laughs> I, I do want to be respectful of your time. I thank you so much for joining me this week. Thank so you, many Corey. good uh, tips and tricks for car shopping and just, uh, I, I appreciate what you do, but just remind our listeners one more time how they can find you and uh, some of the stuff that you are putting out. Sure. A Girl's Guide to Cars. We're on the web, we're on YouTube, we're on Instagram and Facebook. Um, that's where to connect with us. I hope you'll come visit us at the site, come visit our YouTube channel and bring your questions because we'd love to have conversations with our audience and help you be a smarter, more a confident car buyer. That sounds like an awesome objective. I thank you so much for the work that you and your team have put into the automotive space. You are a real asset and keep doing what you're doing. Thank you. Thank you. That's so kind. 
And that about does it for this week's interview with Scotty. If you are interested and want to hear just a little bit more from her and from all of our guests and have access to all of our segments where when I have a guest on, I actually do keep them back for a little bit longer. I've got two additional questions I ask every single guest, and I put that on Patreon for our subscribers that help and contribute financially at the $5 a month tier and up. So you can just head on over to patreon.com slash GT Garage Talk. Like I said, there are multiple different tiers where you can help support this channel financially, but starting at that $5 a month tier, you instantly get access to the entire portfolio of, we call it the aftermarket, where we just bolt on a little extra conversation to each week's main podcast episode. And there we have not only additional conversation with Scotty Reese from this week, but a back catalog of all of my guests that I've interviewed over the years and just quick access to that right there. But I do want to thank Scotty for her time this week on the episode I did my best. I really did. The conversation was going so well. I didn't want to bring it to a close, but I saw a one on the hour timer, and I generally try and keep the episodes shorter than that. So thank you for sticking along and listening to the very end on this one. Definitely go check out Scotty Reese and all that she does at A Girl's Got Cars, putting out amazing work. She does amazing stuff. Just uh, this year at the Chicago Auto Show, uh, Girls Got to Cars sponsored an award uh, to one of our first podcast guests, the legendary off-road uh, Hall of Famer, Sue Mead. So just all around, just an awesome organization and everything that Scotty does. So thank you, thank you, thank you so much to Scotty for listening. Definitely go check her out. But that about does it here for us at GT Garage Talk. You know where to find us. Go go watch some of our YouTube videos. I know we talked about Holly a lot on this episode. Uh, go see her thoughts on some of the things that we've driven lately. As always, gtgaragetalk.com is your home for all things GT Garage Talk. And until next time, gearheads, bye. <laughs>